I believe that honesty is a form of poetry because we so rarely hear it. We so rarely get to experience it from others. We so rarely get to experience it with ourselves. Welcome to The Ethical Rainmaker, a podcast that explores the world of inequity and nonprofits and philanthropy, including where we should step into our power or step out of the way. I'm your host, Michelle Cherie Muri. It's part of my desire and effort to bring zero-cost information, case studies, and inspiration to everyone in the third sector, and especially those of us who realize that we've been complicit in the problematic practices and philosophies of our sector and who want to do better. If you like what you're listening to and you want to support this work, you can find us on Patreon. Today's guest, Matthew Cuban Hernandez, is an award-winning poet, an MC, a performance artist, and a storyteller. He's a rapper, an actor, and a performance coach, as well as the author of the book 3032, an anthology of poems, and two hip-hop albums, including Ivana and Ivana 2. As a performer, Cuban has opened for artists like Wu-Tang, and he's been featured on BuzzFeed, NPR, and a bunch of TV spots. A teaching artist for nearly 10 years, Matthew has spent the last six years working in youth detention centers across Los Angeles County, and he's currently serving as the director of camp programming for Street Poets, Inc. In addition, he is a current lead teacher and co-founder of Spoken Literature Art Movement. Oh, and he's a fundraiser too. In fact, he launched his book through a Kickstarter campaign. Matthew, welcome to The Ethical Rainmaker. Hey, it's so nice to be here. That was a very nice introduction. You know, one of the things that I am always interested in is how an artist makes it in this world, right? I've heard you talk a little bit on other podcasts about it, but I'd love to know, like, at what moment did you see poetry and teaching and like what you're doing as like a viable career path? How did you find your way? Ooh, a wing <laughs> and a prayer um, and uh, and a little magic. No, you know, I, I think poetry specifically as a, as a career path is it, tricky. When I started writing poetry and performing poetry, I was 15. That was, you know, a good chunk of time ago. And I think at that time, there was only a handful of artists that were making a living doing poetry. And a lot of it had to do with them just being on the road, going to another show, another city, and... Um, that's a that's a tough life. I did a year of that or a couple years of that just touring through colleges and and coffee shops and and poetry venues from around the country to different parts of the world. But for me, I think I started finding that like poetry could be something like right around the time like in 2009, um Barack Obama just got elected. I was like anything's possible. I'm going to be a poet. Yeah. <laughs> and so at that time, I was a mailman. I was I was a contract carrier. No way. Uh, delivering mail. I was on my Charles Bukowski for sure. Wow. And, uh, and I was like, I'm done with this. I'm going to just be a poet. And that year, I was on the road on tour for nine months out of that year. And we would do a juvenile detention facility where we would teach at in the morning. In the evenings, we would do a show. Uh, if we weren't at a facility in the morning, we were at some type of high school, middle school. And that collaboration of showing young people that their voice is powerful and that they can do incredible things with it 
it was almost self-actualizing. Like I was, I was a young person at that time and I was like, yeah, man, like, yeah, you could really do stuff with this. And then like, I was, I was out there actively doing stuff as like a young, you know, ambiguous looking brown boy from Jacksonville, Florida, who never really had much in anything. And, and this was my way to see the world. So right around that time, I thought, yeah, you know, if I can help other people fall in love with this craft while falling deeper in love with it and understanding myself, then it's a win-win. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. You've been in every major city. You've performed in every major city, even in the United States, at least. Just about. If Seattle wants to show you boys some love, I, I haven't been yet. I'll, I'll, I'll come through. <laughs> oh, all right. Hey, that's good to know. That's good to know. I got connections in the poetry community. Hey. Let's check it out. Hey. <laughs> One of the things that I love that you state is that your favorite form of poetry is honesty. I appreciate diplomacy. I love a carefully crafted thing. I understand that so many of us don't know how to say hard things directly, myself included, right? I'm always practicing, mm. but this is one of your practices, right? Like it's been a consistent practice. And I, I just wonder if you talk a little bit more about like those spaces where it's so difficult to be honest, but it feels so good. You know, I got to get that put on like a T-shirt or something because yes. I, I do love that. I mean, and I find that to be more and more true the more time that goes on in my life. And it's not just, I'm going to be honest, like, I don't like you. You know, like, yeah. I think <laughs> I think if you get deeper into that, like a thought of like, I don't like you, right? If you get deeper into that thought, or I don't like this thing, right? If you get deeper into that thought, you think, well, why don't I like that, right? And you start realizing like the the honesty is not just being coarse and to the point and just uh, and just cutting deep. Like sometimes that honesty is not healthy or helpful at all. Right. Um, but I think understanding, am I being honest with myself? Right. Am I really being my most true, authentic self? And I love it. Like I did a workshop with a bunch of teachers over at the Pasadena Unified School District. Um, and it was all like inspire these teachers because they're burning out right now because the world, right? And um, and one of the teachers was like, oh, I'm an open book. I'm honest about everything. And I was like, right now, you're not being honest. <laughs> and I think like that idea, <laughs> that idea of like, yeah, my favorite form of poetry is honesty because I think when, when you do start going into those levels of being honest with yourself, that is when you're discovering the most beautiful parts of yourself. It just becomes, it becomes a practice. It becomes a form of therapy. And actually, poetry and the, the way that I work it is actually a form of narrative therapy where we are, are trying to reshape our narrative, trying to reshape the, the experiences we've had in a way that we can understand it and hopefully maybe help other people understand theirs. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> it's like my spitball like, response to that. I love it. <laughs> when I saw that statement from you, I immediately was just thinking about how dishonest we often are in the nonprofit sector. There are so many things that we're dishonest about. Obviously, you know, part of this podcast is talking about the ways in which we're complicit and what needs to change. But we're dishonest about lots of things like, you know, like the change we're able to make in the world or like what the root is, actual root is of the problem that our nonprofit is trying to address or, you know, what this money is actually going to do for our organization. Like there are, there are tactical ways in which we're dishonest, right? And so I think about this concept a lot, right? Because like you said, I, I love that discernment around not every honest thought needs to be shared <laughs> and not every honest thought is helpful to whatever you're trying to accomplish. 
where do you make discernment around that? With my personal like thoughts and, and vocalizations of that? Sure. Yeah. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. When is it helpful? When is it not helpful interpersonally? Oh, man. It's tricky. I think that idea of just like putting it out there and saying, this is what I think. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm open to interpretation. I'm open to to doing this. And I think stepping into it in that way opens up like really healthy dialogue with people. Because when they see that you're able to be vulnerable, my hope or my thought is that maybe it opens up a vulnerableness in the person you're speaking with. Maybe, maybe it opens up something within them. So many of us are scared to be openly wrong or to be openly inaccurate with how we approach ourselves or approach conversations or approach poetry or anything that we, we don't allow room for that conversation. We don't allow room for that growth or that building to happen because we want to be correct, because we're so scared of, of saying something, an honest feeling, and someone making us feel less than because of. And I think that pulls us away from that honesty. But I don't know. I think the more I dig into it, the more I'm like, I'm not worried about someone thinking I'm a fool. So many people think I'm a fool. My, my kids think I'm a fool, right? And that's okay. <laughs> and so I, I, I think that it's a really, really interesting process. But yeah, that's some of the ways I've tried to, tried to dig into it. I really appreciate you talking about that, like coming and saying, I feel this way and this may not be correct, but this is where I'm at. This is what I'm thinking about this thing. And that flexibility, that ease of knowing that the conversation could take whatever turn, you know, maybe you're not, maybe your assessment wasn't right on, but talking about it, right. And talking through it and like Mm -hmm. having that open dialogue between folks, so helpful and so rare in our sector. Also society, I think. Yeah. uh, Because we're so based in that white supremacy culture. I believe that honesty is a form of poetry because we so rarely hear it. We so rarely get to experience it from others. We so rarely get to experience it with ourselves. And so when you hear it, when you hear true honesty, you're just like, oh my God, it's beautiful. And it could literally just be someone saying like, no, or I'm not going to do that or yes, or, you know, that's actually my jam or whatever it is. When we hear something, when we hear someone speak passionately about something that they love, honestly, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's like a sunset, you know, it's like, it's a work of art when you hear someone speak honestly. And I, I mean, you know, when you hear it, like, that's why we, that's why we love art. That's why we love these different creative worlds. Like there's these beautiful, honest moments that happen creatively, but that also happen in our mundane everyday activities that we run from because we're scared of the repercussions that'll happen if we're honest. Yeah. And uh, I just, I love being honest as much as I can. I've also heard that when you're working with kids, that you are absolutely devoted to honesty, including being honest about like relationship with the police. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I think in some worlds, like in some classrooms, like especially in the facilities, these young people already have a very strong relationship with the police. When I go into these facilities and 90% of the young people in them are either black or brown and how these young people almost have a perception like, oh, well, white kids just must not do crime. And it's like, no, that's not the actuality of what you're dealing with. There's a whole world, there's a whole pipeline that's set up to have you right here, right now. 
And and perhaps maybe this conversation might be the only window or doorway out of this that I could offer you, but it gets deep on multiple levels. And when I talk to young people about just their own safety around police officers, they already have an idea of it. They already know that their life can be held in the balance at any moment for so many things. So we have those conversations often trying to just help them understand like your world isn't just this world that you're in. Um, there's a whole place out of it, right? And it's not just you versus the, the these officers. It's not just you versus another block. It's not just you versus this judge. It's not just you versus trying to get your GED or your high school diploma or trying to get in college or trying to get a job. It's it's a lot of things combined. And understanding that these things are symbiotic is a big step in the right direction. So, yeah. You know, this segues perfectly into Street Poets, Inc. I would love to hear about that work where I'm assuming is where a lot of these conversations are happening now. Absolutely. You know, I've been working with Street Poet, Inc. for about four years now, and we've worked in a lot of different facilities together. But to be able to be within their their teaching unit, to be able to be a director and help, you know, be one of their lead teaching artists has been really phenomenal. I think a lot of how I teach and a lot of how I approach poetry has shifted immensely since I've started working with street poets because so much of the work they do is tied into this nature, is tied into indigenous practices, is tied into this idea that, you know, every single person on this planet has some type of rite of passage that they have to go through. You know, we all have these initiatory practices, you know, in different cultures, you have quinceañeras, you have, you know, bat mitzvahs, you have all these different things. And in some of the cultures that are in these facilities, the practice is to join these different gangs, these different cultures, right? Right. And and it goes all the way back to indigenous teachings. Like when you would become an, an adult, you would get a new name. You would get a new responsibility within that community, right? You would get all these different things that come with you. And that's going to happen regardless in, in our society. And young people are craving this, whether they understand it or not. And when you don't have other aspects to go to, like, yeah, I'm going to go join this group of people who will keep me safe, make me feel like I belong, and I'm going to get all these different aspects that come with it and not fully understanding what comes with it. So when I'm working with street poets, we try to say, let's go out into nature. Let's understand these indigenous practices. Let's let's call things by their names. We have uh, an ancestor shrine in our office that's just full of incredibly influential people, artists, poets, but we also have young people who have passed away. We have elders in our community who have passed away. And just understanding that relationship of like, yo, you leave something behind and there is something left behind for you. And there's a, there are people behind you. I think that work has just been, it's been life-changing for me. And I know that it can and has been life-changing for other folk. And I think that's like the root of it. Like, obviously, like we make books of poetry for our students. We make albums for our students. We record them. We do all these cool things. We go cool places. But I think the, the crux of the work that we do is having them understand that there's a deeper world around them that's waiting, that they are desperately in need of getting to, that's not just what is right in front of them. I think like showing a, a, a young person a new, a new angle of the world is so important. Even when I stand in the classroom and I'm like, there might be 20 kids in the classroom. And I say, look, every single person 
sees me at a different angle right now. You see me at a unique angle that no other person in this room sees me at, even though we're all seeing the same thing. We're all having very unique, different viewpoints at it. And they're all important and they're all brilliant. And if you don't tell your story, somebody else will, and they're going to tell it wrong. You're listening to The Ethical Rainmaker, and I'm your host, Michelle Shireen Muri. We're speaking with Matthew Cuban Hernandez about honesty. Matthew is a performance artist and author, storyteller, as well as a nonprofit worker at Street Poets Inc. in Los Angeles, California. Find details out about each episode and each guest at theethicalrainmaker.com. One of the things that I think we do in the nonprofit space is we make a lot of assumptions about what our clients or our community needs. And I think it's especially easy to do in a patriarchal culture, but also in a a culture that's obsessed with structural hierarchy. We use a lot of ageism Mm. to make decisions, especially for younger people. And I wonder, you know, while you're stewarding the experiences of young people, what is it like to truly center them and their needs? Like, how do you learn about what their needs are and attend to them? What's your take? A lot of nonprofits, they say, we work with this group, this age group to this age group. And crisis doesn't have a timeline. It's not like, oh, you're 21 now. (laughs) I'm going to get out of here. Like, no, like a lot of times young people need help throughout their lives. Right. And I think a lot of nonprofits, they they say, look, well, we can only help this group or we can only do this or we can only do that. And I, I think a lot about the particular population that we work with and how, you know, a lot of these kids get out of facilities at 18 and they're like, all right, don't, don't get in trouble again. Like we're going to send you right back to the same community and we're not going to give you any type of resources and no jobs. So you got to make money to live. And, and, you know, like a lot of these young folk, they all want to (laughs) work. They want jobs. Like they want to bring in an income and sometimes those things aren't there for them. So you know, when I when I think about a young person who has an ID that says a part of town that somebody might have assumptions about, then automatically they're just you. you it's so much harder to get a job, and then you don't have experience, and then you're a young person. So, one of the one things that we've done, we've uh, Street Poets has partnered with an organization called the Arts for Healing and Justice Network, is we offer paid internships to youth who are interested in writing poetry, or recording hip hop, or being in the production studio. I'm just saying, okay, here, come learn this, come get this experience while being in this nonprofit, build your resume and all these things, and you'll get paid out an hourly rate. And it's good. It's like 15 bucks an hour, which is really decent if you're a young person trying to learn something. And so I think that there's there's that part of the world. I, I also think that like, yeah, nonprofits, they they want to to serve a community and their boards don't always look like those communities. I think there's this idea that like, we have to keep growing. We have to keep getting bigger. We have to keep getting bigger. We have to keep doing more and more and more, but that more and more doesn't always seem directly tied to what type of success they're trying to get with the population they're working with. Right. But I don't necessarily think like more is always better. I think if you can have a refined scope on like who and what you're working with and trying to get them to a successful path, those are, those are powerful things. But I do see like I do see boards switching up. I do see things trying to trying to understand and, and reach deeper into 
the cultures that they're operating in. I, I think one of the biggest things is like understanding like once you develop a relationship with a young person, that's a lifelong commitment, right? Like I got young people that hit me up that I worked with 10 years ago that are still like, yeah, like, can I just talk to you about that? Or I had a young person just sleep on the spare bed right behind me just the other day, right? And I think sometimes we we have these superficial cutoffs for what we can do to help people. But I think understanding like you're letting a bird fly into like duck hunting season, you know, isn't always a good thing, right? Word, okay. Yeah, so I don't know if that directly answered. I'm sure I could continue, but yeah. Yes, yes, that's a great analogy. Um, A lot of these things are understanding that these young folks have a have a long life ahead of them and then are dealing with with traumas that not necessarily just a poem is going to fix right or not like you know like just pat all the back is going to do i i see a lot of organizations putting band-aids on gunshot wounds and you know yes there's only so much we can do but at times it seems like there are more things we could do yeah one thousand one thousand one more question kind of in that vein when working with young people, or actually, I mean, I, I think this can apply to all of our nonprofits, but I think so many of us, if we can't understand or are having trouble understanding like the ways in which white supremacy works or patriarchy works, et cetera, um, one way we can all look at it through is the lens of ageism. And how do we, when we're working with young people, how do we not approach that work with the sentiment of we know what's best or they don't know what's good for them. How do you center a conversation when the traditional conversation of like, we know what's best is so alive? When I step into a room, I'm like, look, I have something cool that I could offer you, but I don't know everything about what you've been through. In fact, I understand you've probably been through more things and and experienced more life than most of the adults that are around you in this facility. We might know a lot about being in a nonprofit, but we know nothing about being in this young person's shoes. We know nothing about the things that they've experienced. We know nothing about what it's like to walk from their bus stop to their house and the things that they have to experience, right? And so it's easy to just say, hey, don't get in trouble no more, man. Just stay away from them people. And it's like, yeah, but every single one of them people are my family. And every single one of those people are in the house that I'm living in, right? I think sometimes as adults, we step into these things and just say, well, just don't do that. Just stay away from those things. Believe me, I've been one of those people who's been like, right, like it, you know, but at the same time, these young people know more than what we know. They've experienced more than what we've experienced. And I'm like, in a lot of ways, you've got a doctorate in in your experiences. Right. And your bullshit meter is really well tuned. Man, it's like a it's as tuned as it gets. <laughs> because they've heard it already. They've seen they've and, and in more chances than not, when you're trying to tell a young person, okay, just follow this path, they've probably already tried to follow that path and not had success in it. So at this point, you're telling them something that they already know to be false. So yeah, it, it gets tricky. And I think this idea of like, I'm older, I know better, I've experienced things, it only goes so far. Even if you've experienced the exact same stuff those kids have experienced, even if you're coming from a culture that's exactly like that, you still can't just be like, yeah, like do this. You know, I think there's a, there's a deeper, there's a deeper road that has to happen with that. And again, it has to be, has to be holistic. You have to be like, yo, I know I, I've seen you these things and 
Like let's let's write about it. Let's get these things out so that you're they're not inside anymore, right? That's one of the powerful things I love about poetry is like you can take something and you can put it on the desk and walk away from it. Even if you're only walking away from it for the 10 minutes that you spend writing it, like you spent 10 minutes healing, recuperating. So that's a that's a little bit of it. Is there another topic that you'd like to talk about in this vein that we haven't hit on? I think when I think about the nonprofits, and I, I know Los Angeles has like more nonprofits in their city than like anywhere else in the country, maybe <laughs> world. I don't know. I, I sometimes think about intention. I think a lot of things are based off good intentions, but you know, there's a board that you're accountable to. There is, you know, things that you have to get done. There are all these different areas that I think shifts intentions in why we do the work. The more administrative you get in these in these fields, the further you seem to get from that intention and in what you're trying to do when you're like, now nah, we got to reach this quota. Now nah, this is our annual report. These are our annual budgets. These are all our things that we have to hit in order to to whatever, right? I know that there's a lot of orgs that make sacrifices for their young people, but yeah, sometimes it feels like our intention gets shifted a little bit over time. And that's just stuff I've seen with with other nonprofits, various nonprofits, right? Um, I think Street Poets has done an amazing job at like really taking closer looks at these things. You know, I think it's important to just say like, keep those intentions straight, keep those intentions tight, find something having a youth board that that speaks directly to your board is like super important, especially if you're working with young people. But that's just a thought that popped in my head. Yeah, right. What do you think is the biggest thing that we're not talking about in nonprofit work? I think it would be important if we had a better understanding of the things that slip through the cracks, right? If we have a better understanding of like, okay, is, is our work staff <laughs> overworked, Right. I think there's this idea in nonprofits where it's like, yo, we're a nonprofit, man. Like we give, we give, we give. And like you're an employee. So like your job is to give and give and give until you pass out. There's so much of this idea of like you got to sacrifice in order to like understand the betterment of what we're trying to do here. But, you know, you can't you can't win a war if your soldiers are hungry. You can't win a war if your soldiers are sick. Right. Right. And we feel like we're in this war and we feel like, yo, I can't, I can't rest. I got to take them 3 a.m. phone calls. I got to be up. I got to be, I got to do whatever. I got to open my space. I got to cook. I, and it causes so many people to burn out. Right. And I'd love to see nonprofits really investing into their staff a lot more in different occasions. But more often than not, I just see nonprofits being like, well, if you don't want to do this work, we'll get somebody else who will do it. And, you know, that tends to have just this turnaround, this turnaround, this turnaround. So Yeah, turn and burn, turn and burn. Yeah, man. You're listening to The Ethical Rainmaker, and I'm your host, Michelle Shiri-Miri. The Ethical Rainmaker is accepting sponsorship and supporters anytime. You can join our community of individual support on Patreon. And if you want to find out how to get your name and your work out to our ever-expanding community, drop us a line at hello at theethicalrainmaker.com. We love to have you as a sponsor. Now back to our conversation with Matthew Cuban Hernandez of Street Poets, Inc. You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about money and charging because mm. you had this conversation with it was a podcast that belonged to an institute, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This person that was interviewing you and you were talking about money and you were talking about like 
not wanting to charge for services and giving away everything you can for free. Yeah, I, I it, and it kind of came from, so my book was originally published with a dope publisher here in Los Angeles that we ended up going in different directions. But I got to this point where it was like, I really wanted like the students I work with to get, you know, a book of poetry. And I was like, this is me. Like, you know, I don't know how many times you met a published author, young people, but like, hey, here I am. And I'm nothing special. I can't even spell good. Like, you know, and I wrote a book, like you write one better. But there was this wall of like, well, yeah, I got to pay 15 bucks for each book or I got to, you know, try to figure out if, well, how am I going to get this book to this kid? And so I would put stuff on Instagram and say, hey, does anybody want to sponsor a book for uh, some young people? And sometimes people would donate some stuff. And it's difficult, right? And I don't, I don't want to keep approaching this of like, buy my book so I can give it to kids. So I was like, I want to get to the place where no one has to pay for anything from me. And so I, I did this Kickstarter, which was like really a test of my own imposter syndrome and just like self-doubt and just like, I'm asking strangers for money. This is terrifying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it got to the point where, you know, we raised enough money to be able to give away 3,032 copies of my book, which is wow. titled 3032. And yeah, it was amazing that I think that that process was really, really dope because it just, it sparked something in me to say, okay, I don't want anybody to have to pay for anything if they can't. Right. And if you want something that's going to heal you, like you shouldn't necessarily be charged for it. Like if, if it's going to make you better, which then in turn would make your surroundings better, like just have it. You know what I mean? And so yeah. since then, I've just been on this this tip of like, yo, like, how can we get these things out? Like, obviously, if you're an organization, you can afford things like, you know, but <laughs> um, I think for me, a big thing of like, if, if you're a young person, if you're a school, if you're educated, if you're, you know, anybody who's out here and you're trying to do something that's going to benefit and help people, take it, take it, take all of it, take all of it. I think teachers, teachers have that mindset of like, oh, you like my workshop? Go teach it on your own. Cheers. Have it. Yeah. Here's my <laughs> curriculum. I don't care. Right. You know what I mean? Like teachers are always like, whatever, dude, like if you want it, take it and call it whatever. You know, give me some credit if you can. But that mindset of like, yo, just just get this out there because it's going to do good. Thank you for that perspective. And I think I think that's the rub. That's the rub with all the work we do. Right. Because then the other the other part of it is what I heard a colleague of yours saying, which was a lot of the folks who are giving their work away might also be trouble having paying rent. Yeah, that happens. You know, I mean, there's things that you do give your work away to and there's things that you don't. Like I, I, I did a performance for like the independent sector a few months back and they were like, well, what do you charge? And I was like, this is what I charge. But if a nonprofit hits me up and they're like, hey, what do you charge? I was like, this is what I charge, but let me know what you're working with and we can find a way to make it happen. I don't, you know, colleges, universities, I'm like, eh, you guys are going to spend this on trash bags this month. So like, just give it to me. I'll do good with it and I'll bring some light and love to your campus. You know, but not everybody gets those those cool rates. Sliding scale, sliding scale. <laughs> sliding scale, sliding right? scale, you know. And you got to go with your gut. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's, it's an organization on campus that they're like, hey, man, like, it's just us. And we raise this money selling cookies. But we really want to have you. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's, let's come through. Right. But it starts I with that it. conversation. It starts with being honest. Like, honestly, where are you at? What is your budget? What do you want me to come in and do? What do you foresee this project being and me, and me coming and doing? And knowing more about it, it makes me, you know, makes me more likely to just say, yeah, man, I'll do it. It's cool. I don't mind. Right. Well, thank you. I was I was super curious about your perspective on money and sharing and what that looks like. And yeah, thank you for expanding. I will say, though, it's it's a little crazy. And I, I don't know if I want to recommend this for everybody, but 
since I've been enacting this process of just giving stuff away, it's actually had the reverse effect. It's not been like, oh, I'm losing. I've actually gained so much more from this process of just giving, giving, giving. And I don't know, it's maybe like more spiritual world stuff, but somehow it just, it comes back. It comes back in different ways, not always financial, but there's never been a late bill. So I don't know. <laughs> Legit. That seems like an abundance philosophy if I ever heard one. Well, yeah. Is there anything I, I didn't ask you that you'd love to have answered? I just want everybody to go listen to my album that I wrote for my mommy on Spotify. It's pretty good and I think you'll like it. And if you're an educator or a nonprofit that would like a book of poetry, just hit me up and I'll send a big box your way. That's amazing. Matthew Cuban Hernandez, thank you so much for all of your generosity. Thank you for bringing this perspective for the work that you do. Matthew Cuban Hernandez, again, the author of 3032, an anthology of poems and two hip hop albums, Ivana and Ivana 2. Thank you so much for all of the work that you do. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate your time. And that's it for The Ethical Rainmaker. If you're inspired by what you hear, don't let your homies or your friends or your colleagues miss out. Share this pod with them. And thank you to everyone who supports this pod, including our community of 57 individual supporters on Patreon. You can find us like they did on Patreon or connect with us directly to sponsor this show. Just drop us a line at hello at theethicalrainmaker.com. We would love to hear what this episode inspired in you. I know for me, talking about honesty in our sector is always so important and so jarring. DM us on Instagram, Facebook, the CCF Slack channel, or our website where you can send a voice message directly to us. We'd love to hear your ideas and your thoughts for future episodes, of course, whatever curiosities you have, and we may even turn your burning question into a new full-length episode. So just let us know. The Ethical Rainmaker is produced in Seattle and LA by Juliana Mayo and Jeff Entman with socials by Stacey Wynn Creative and production assistance by Coco Decker. Thank you so much to Matthew for giving us his time. As always, find extensive show notes and transcripts at theethicalrainmaker.com. Our awesome theme song is I'm Gold by Trick Candles, and you can find them on Bandcamp. The Ethical Rainmaker comes to you again in two weeks, and you are going to love what's next. See you soon.